Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, back at it again. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. I'm sitting here with the national championship game on in the background while recording. Michigan's currently winning 17 to 3. And, you know, I'm not even that interested. You know what, Jimbo? I didn't even know that it was on tonight. Like, who, so Michigan is playing Georgia. Is it or who they play? Oh, Washington. Washington. Okay. What? Like, how did they get in? Yeah, Washington, Washington came in undefeated, like Florida State, and uh, so did Michigan. So they were number one and number two, and then one loss Alabama and one loss Texas got put in over Florida State, mm. and it was huge drama, huge big deal. And both they both both Texas and Alabama lost their playoff games, and so now well. here we are, Michigan versus Washington. And it's pretty heavy on the Michigan side so far. Well, it's a non-SEC national collegiate football championship. So I think, you know, you you and I, who are of the SEC, yeah. really could care less about this. And so, you know, that's why we're recording a boot camp podcast right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, look, we both are winning at our hobbies, though. You, you have got another year running as a Yelp elite. How many years in a row is that? Jimbo, this will be year number seven. Number seven as a Yelp elite. Now, is it so, different now that you're in Nashville? Did you have to go through a different process to get approved? Or I well, I I didn't even know there was a process taking place, Jimbo. I I emailed my community manager uh, and let them know that I was leaving St. Louis, and she introduced me to Bailey, who's the community manager of the Yelp elites here in Nashville. And as I've mentioned before, I think on the podcast, I live in Foodieville here in East Nashville, Mm -hmm. some great food, fantastic stuff. And so I've written a couple of reviews since I've been here and not traveling as much, but man, I'm working long hours and just, you know, I thought, well, maybe I've, maybe I've made my run. Maybe I've planted my flag, left Nam, left replant, Maybe I'm not going to be a Yelp elite anymore. And lo and behold, I wake up and then get a notification that I'm a Yelp elite once again. There you go. All right, man. That's pretty exciting. So for me, got my first disc golf tournament victory over the over this last weekend. Got first place in the lowest amateur division. <laughs> the lowest. So does that... Is that in stature or is that just in experience level? It's yeah, it's well, it's rankings. You have a rating, uh, and based on your rating, decides which division you're in. Um, and so I was in the the bottom dredges of the tournament, which all the tournaments I've played, I've been in the bottom dredges. Yeah, and the closest I've gotten before was fifth place, and so I got first place. And it was an interesting tournament. It's a Christian organization I've never heard of called Eagles Wings Disc Golf. That is a disc golf ministry. They do international ministry, like in Zambia and Costa Rica, sharing disc golf and Jesus in, in other countries. And then on the disc golf pro tour, they do chapel services for the disc golfers uh, at every pro tour stop. And two of mine and Trip's favorite pro disc golfers were playing in the same tournament. And so oh. we got to see them. And that was really cool. That is awesome. So you are the best of the least. 
Yeah. So this yeah. Is, that's, that's good. I think that's kind of biblical. Didn't Jesus say that whoever's <laughs> so, the least will be the best or something like that? So something like that. I don't think it had anything to do with disc off divisions, but it was, it was something, something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> well, would, if there was a Frisbee back in Bible times, would Jesus have thrown a Frisbee? I think I, he probably I, would I think so. I think he probably would have. Yeah. I mean, I mean Sandal wearing hippie. I mean, he probably. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what, when we think of you, that's what we think of a sandal wearing hippie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the Seinfeld episode with Fr- uh, Frisbee Golf, the, the Summer of George, where he. Oh, I know. I didn't know Frisbee Golf was in that one. Yeah. he he He's talking about he's going to do the Summer of George. And the thing he wants to do is learn how to play Frisbee Golf. Um, <laughs> Man. Well, good times. Good times. I don't think we're going to be talking about like Yelp elites and Frisbee golf the whole time though, are we? No, I mean, we're not. We got to, we got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Some good laughs though. Anyway. Hey Jimbo, I, I have, I, I made a Facebook post a couple days ago and it was about ministry funding for renewal pastors, um, church planters, that sort of thing. And here's what I basically said is I think we have to honestly have a conversation about funding for mm-hmm. ministry. And we got to look at it because here's what I'm hearing, Jimbo, in, in my role. And you're probably still hearing this and in, in what you're, you know, what you continue to do is there are a lot of pastors out there that are just trying to figure out how do we continue to do meaningful ministry in the context that God has called us to? And then how do we fund that? Right. How, how do we, how do we meet our needs, our basic income needs? How do we care for our families well? How do we we survive? How do we buy groceries? All those sorts of things, right? And so I think that's a question that I'm hearing even more mm-hmm. than I've heard before. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've not been in ministry as, as long as you have, but I've been in ministry almost 20 years now. And, you know, a full-time salary 20 years ago in ministry, it looks nothing like what a full-time salary is needed now to take mm-hmm. care of a family and churches have not as a whole, you know, seen a ton of growth in the last 20 years. And right. and so I mean, just the financial realities of where we're at at this moment in history in this country is uh, a fully funded pastor is going to be less. You're going to find that less frequently than a pastor that's having to figure out some other way to get funding. Now, there's a lot of ways that can happen, but just single, you know, single source income, the church pays your salary. That's just not happening on the level that it used to. Yeah, it's not. You know, I I just read through a lot of the comments and a, a lot of the respondents just basically said, that's my story. Mm. I'm trying to figure that out, too. We've struggled. I've got a family of this size and what we make is just not enough for us to, to make it these days. And, and so what I didn't hear Jimbo was that they felt like they had to abandon their church, Mm-mm. that they felt like they, they needed to leave the call. But I heard, I heard the honest struggle of a, of a pastor, of a father, of a husband thinking this is what God's called us to. And it's our reality we got to find a way to make this work. Yeah. Right. And so I, what I wanted to do is, is maybe take this in a couple parts and I don't know if these are all going to be sequential Jimbo, but maybe we, we do kind of a part one now and then maybe another part two and part three later. But I think this is worth us spending some time, at least introducing as a concept tonight and talking about how do you fund ministry? So yeah. I want to talk about 
three primary ways we fund ministry. Look at some scriptures, pull in some quotes, and and just kind of walk through this. So here's the first way that that most of us think about funding ministry. Jimbo, that is single source church based, mm-hmm. right? You're called to church, and that church calls you as their pastor. Sometimes maybe you're an associate staff pastor or your youth pastor. And they say, we want you to come and serve us in this way. And here's the salary. And so a lot of times that can be, here's the, here's the big number. Here's the total number that we are, we're going to give you. And we're going to let you slice that pie however you want to slice it. But mm. here's the pie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's single source. And I, I think there's, there's obviously the biblical mandate for a church supporting those who lead and teach in that church. Right. And so we turn our minds to First Timothy chapter five, which says this, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker is worthy of his wages. Right. So this is the this is the one verse that the pastors hope that that uh, personnel committee and the finance committee read every yeah. Year and, as they're determining rightly exegete, yeah, yeah, and so you know they, they they hope that that the church is able to compensate them well, and and I think that Paul says, man, if a pastor is leading well and preaching well and and teaching well and and fulfilling his duties as an elder, he's not just worth honor but double honor, and so that word biblical scholars tell us it's 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 a monetary word, it's a value word, right? It's yeah. it's it's support them as they do ministry, so yeah. the. There is this idea, idea, and I would also say, Jimbo, this is probably the ideal way for a local church to take care of those who labor in in the ministry for the the benefit of proclaiming the gospel and discipling the saints. Yeah, I mean, but the hard reality, like we were saying, I mean, like the the search committee could know this verse, they could rightly exegete it, they could understand the theological and practical implications of this verse but they just don't have enough money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and I, I called my former pastor when I realized this and apologized to him. I, I remember when I was in new Orleans and, you know, we had drawn the youth group from, you know, a fairly small youth group to one of the larger youth groups in new Orleans. And you know, I wasn't making very much money and my wife was having to work full time so that we could survive. And, you know, we had our third kid and we were thinking maybe we didn't want her to work, have to work full time. And I remember really putting a lot of pressure on my pastor to bring me on full time, to bring me to a full time livable wage. And mm. I remember being frustrated that he couldn't make it happen. And like, I, I think back and like, I, I mean, I mean, I think in my mind, like I just thought like it was just a decision. Like he just needed to make the decision. And if I was worth it, then then he would pay me what I'm worth. Sure. But then I became a lead pastor and had to manage the budget and had to deal. And I was like, oh, I don't think it had anything to do with how much he valued me. He just didn't have enough money. Like Mm -hmm. he just couldn't. I mean, it wasn't that I hadn't earned it. It wasn't that I wasn't worth it. I mean, just the money wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's especially when we're younger, that that is the case in the majority of churches, I think. Let's say, I don't know the majority, but a good number of churches really want to pay their staff as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And very few churches are, are really being tight-fisted, but there are some that are, and and that's unfortunate. 
But I, I think we just have to realize there's a limited resource that's available. And studies show that especially those churches that are maybe starting out and their church plants, that if they're reaching a lot of non-churched, unchristian folks, it takes them a while to, to learn uh, the principles of stewardship. And they may be uh, they may be finding themselves in need to do something. So um, the first form of support for a, a pastor is the single source, the church pays your salary. Now, that can be challenging. So number two, another way that ministry is funded is missions and ministry support, right? So this is those who hear about what you're doing, those who believe in you, those who are generous with their resources and realize that churches need to help other churches to support the gospel work in particular contexts and locations. And so we can think of multiple scriptures that talk about this. One is I want to talk about in Philippians chapter four. And so this is Paul writing and he's commending the, the Philippians. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So here you have a congregation in Philippi that says, we hear about Paul, what Paul's doing. We love him. We've received benefit from him. We know he's engaged in ministry and gospel ministry in another context. We want to send money and support him. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's, Paul's thankful for that. Right. Yeah. And, and so Jimbo, when you and I replanted, or at least when I replanted our church, I had a group of folks that I just reached out to that said, Hey, here's what the church can pay me. And it's a, uh, it's a bit of a step down from where I was. And, you know, we, we are looking to, to raise support. And so would you consider supporting the work that we're doing? Because we feel like it's it's valid and it's vital work that needs to be done on behalf of this church, right? Yeah. We, weren't, we weren't angry about it. We weren't frustrated about it. We did, but we just realized we're going to have to ask for some help. And so by God's grace over, you know, a three to five year period time, Jimbo, we raised almost to the dime exactly what we needed to find a way to continue to, to meet our family's needs and, and devote as much time as possible to the renewal work in that local church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we had to do, we did, what I did is the church ended up setting up my salary at what it needed to be. And that was set by our mother church before I was even brought on. So I wasn't even part of that conversation, but what I realized then was by them paying my my salary full time, we were pretty we were pretty limited in our ministry mm-hmm. expenses. So I I went, you know, this was before I knew anything about what replanting really is. And I just remember thinking, man, church planters fundraise all the time. Mm-hmm. Why can't I fundraise? And so I just went and went after it, man. I found mission partners, found people who were willing to give and and helped get the church financially where it needed to be. But that's a, a you know that's that's a challenge for a lot of pastors to do. Like not all pastors are very comfortable with fundraising. I don't really like it necessarily even myself. And so I think it's definitely, I like, I like ministry models, especially where church, other churches are helping other churches. 
And so, I mean, I just, I love the kingdom mindedness and the selflessness of that. So I think it's a really valid model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole episode on how you develop a list and how you ask and how you share the need and how you receive and, and report and do all those sorts of things. And there's plenty of books that have been written about how to do all of that. But I think what I want to highlight here is just this principle of, you know what, sometimes it's important for you in a renewal pastor engaging in the work to reach out to those who are in his circle or sister churches or places you've served before on staff or friends that you went to seminary with who are at churches who might be able to support you and just to simply say, hey, here's the need, here's what we're doing, and we'd love for you to consider being a partner here with us. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Yeah. Um, and 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 the Lord will, will bless that, I believe, right? And, and so I just want to hold that out there is sometimes you, you uh, are able to fund ministry through missions and ministry support. All right, here's the third one. Yes, Ready? Yeah, what's next? All right, here's the next one. Self-funded. Self-funded, right? So if you win the lottery, you self-fund your ministry. No, now, do you no. have to report where the funds came from? Well, you know I'm joking, of course, but yeah. self-funded, what does that mean? Well, it means that you personally find a way to bring in resources in order that you're able to stay and do ministry in the location that God has called you and to, to ministry. Maybe you you work, maybe your spouse works. And and so sometimes this is called bivocational, co-vocational. We'll kind of differentiate the two here in just a second. But one of the questions I, I thought about trying to find the answer for was how many bivocational pastors exist in North America. Now, I, I'm going to give you some statistics, but Jimbo, I don't have a lot of confidence in these statistics in terms of just like, I think they're older and I think this is a hard one to, to to figure out. So let me give you three statistics and then pick whichever one you feel like, you know, is the right statistic for you. <laughs> Here's the first All right. one. Uh, how many bivocation, how many uh, pastors are bivocational? Um, one uh, source that I found said about 60 to, to uh, 80%, right? Which I think that's a large, that's a big range, right? Yeah. So, um, I would say probably that there's there's some truth in that one, maybe on the higher end, just in terms of, of, of thinking through that. Our good friend, oh, friends over at the Founders Blog said this. Today, it's estimated that 60 to 65 percent of Southern Baptist churches are served by bivocational pastors. And then the statistics man himself over at Church Answers, Tom Rayner, said, though we don't have precise data, we estimate that there are over one million bivocational pastors and church staff in North America alone. So he's just going to broaden it to say pastors and staff. And so obviously that's going to bounce the number up there. But uh, of all the churches in North America, there's an estimate there from Church Answers. It's going to be about a million. So Jimbo, yeah, I would, go ahead. I was trying to track this answer down myself for our team. You know, Matt yeah. McNaughton and Poland Pugh have started working on some bivocational, co-vocational strategy for our team. And so they were asking me about this. So I, you know, emailed help at nam.net and who, who do I, who can I talk to who can help me get this answer? And they connected me with Brad Briscoe. Yeah. Uh, who said, uh, he said, look, I wish there was a good, I wish there was good data to answer this question, but there simply isn't. You'll find a pretty broad range of responses as you've already demonstrated to us, Bob. He says, one of the problems is getting accurate data 
in getting accurate data is the varying ways to define bivocational. Mm-hmm. Is it any part-time job, 10 hours a week in the marketplace, 20 hours a week, even within our own tribe, we have a pretty small number of planters who are actually fully funded. While guys might not consider themselves to be bivo, the vast majority of planters have some type of side hustle in order to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Sorry if this isn't helpful, but when speaking bivo covo, he usually would say the bivo population is somewhere between 50 to 70 percent of pastors. He said the last thing he would say is COVID has accelerated the number of Bible pastors, and he believes that number will only increase as more and more churches are experiencing financial pressures. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, 50 to, what do you say, 50 to 70 or, you know, 60 to 80. So, I mean, we're, we're right in there. So, I mean, if we just said, if you just, you know, come split the difference and said anywhere from 65 to 75%, you're probably striking the the heart of the number there. So I, I think the key there is that it's probably going to increase and that almost every pastor has some sort of side hustle that they're doing, yeah. right? The majority do. So if you're a full-time pastor, well, Jimbo, honestly, I don't know many full-time pastors that will listen to us. I think Casey, the chin Williams probably yeah. listens to us. He's full-time and he, he might be one of a, a handful of guys, but a, a lot of the guys that we are able to speak to Man, they, they know what it they know what it is to be bivocational. And I just want to say, man, we, we love you and we're we're grateful for you. So, you know, here's here's some simple definitions of bivocobo. Yeah. So bivocational, this is two jobs to support so two jobs, meaning one, you work at the church and you get some support from the church, and then you work another job as a way to support your role as the pastor of that church, not to overburden or unduly burden the church, right? Yeah. So that is a a a a vocational choice based primarily on need. Co-vocational is intentionally choosing to engage in a dual vocational role, both for mission and for ministry support. So one, bivocational typically is out of need. Co-vocational is, is more strategic and more intentional. You don't have to, but you choose to, right? And so I've, I've known some I know some churches that their whole staff was co-vocational, right? Intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And a long time ago, we were doing a podcast and we did the bivocational podcast. Mm-hmm. We were introduced to a, a pastor leader in Houston who uh, worked at a hospital and yep. was intentionally co-vocational. So, so I think that either way you approach it, there's merit in that. So we look at a couple places in scripture where we can see this lived out, right? And so Paul is the primary one we look at. And, and so it describes what Paul has done. And I want to be careful here that that a lot of these verses are descriptive, not prescriptive, I would say. They describe what Paul was doing. They don't prescribe a precise pattern for you to repeat, right? So they show you what what Paul did, and they give you the idea that this is permissible if you need to do this, right? But it's not required. So in Acts chapter 18, this is commentary on Paul. It says, And he, Paul, found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So this is Acts 18, 2 and 3. So this what this tells us is Paul is is on mission and he hears of Priscilla and Aquila. They're leaders in the church. And so he's going to find them, right? See what they're doing. And all of a sudden, well, he finds them. What are they doing? Well, Jimbo, they're setting up shop, right? They're they're doing their trade and they're doing ministry at the same time. And so Paul because he was of the same trade, he's going, you know what? I'm just going to work with them, right? And and so that's a description of something that he did. Now, later Paul writes and he talks about, you know, 
why he chose to fund himself in ministry the way he funded himself, right? And so in part of this response in 1 Corinthians 9, he, he is he's defending himself, and he's also being an advocate for the church supporting pastors and ministers. Yeah. And so here's, here's what he says in defense of, of his self. And he says this, or is it only Barnabas and me who have no right to refrain from working for a living? If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What is then my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So what, what's Paul saying here? He's, he's basically saying, look, as a pastor, as a minister, as one who ministers among you, I, I certainly would have the right to ask that you all would support me in this, but I'm choosing to lay down that right yeah. and not require it of you. And so I think of the time when I walked into our elders meeting and just basically said, look, the, the church is in a financial position where I'm going to cut my salary. Right. And I did that like Jimbo. I started at, at like three quarter salary and Jimbo, I ended at like a very part time salary. Right. Yeah. Why? Why well, did that so that I could stay at the church and continue to serve them and proclaim the gospel. And I did that willingly. Right. Yeah. And, and not under compulsion. And, and I, I chose to lay down that right so that I could pre- present the gospel to them and, and serve that local church. So I think some pastors, that's their heart. That's what they want to do. And, and that's what they do. So you're well within your ability to, to, to ask the church to help support you or to voluntarily lay that right down. Yeah, that's a good word. I mean, I think you definitely have to ask questions about how you're going to fund things. But ultimately, if you're thoroughly convinced that God has called you to this church at this season and time, then you need to be willing to do that. And I mean, if, if you feel thoroughly convinced God's called you into vocational pastoral ministry, like statistically, the odds are you're going to have to figure out funding some other way. And I think mm-hmm. you've presented, Bob, to us today some some good options to consider on, on how to approach that. All right. Hey, let's end with the Spurgeon quote, shall we? Let's do like, it. Jeff Chang, the, the professor at Kansas City, has written a great blog over at NAM in and this is actually in the replanting series, and he talks about bivocational ministry. So he he shares this quote from Spurgeon about bivocational ministry. So Spurgeon's looking at the, the landscape and he's he's assessing it, and here's what he says: the most practical remedy is to find volunteer laborers who will not need maintenance from the people. Mm. This admirable remedy is already largely used, but not so largely as it might be. We have among us numbers of brethren engaged in handicrafts and professions who are endowed with gifts at least sufficient for the gathering of moderate congregations, and some of them display ability equal, if not superior, to the average stipendary pastors. It is exceedingly great gain to the community when these brethren addict themselves to the ministry of the saints. Well, what's he saying there? (laughs) It's like... If you're a bivocational pastor, it doesn't mean you're less of a pastor. Yeah, It just means that you've chosen in a right way to serve the congregation as God has led you to make the sacrifice. And what I love what he says is this, this admirable 
remedy is already largely used, but not so largely as it might be. Mm. In other words, Spurgeon's looking at the landscape saying, we don't need less of this. We need more of it. Mm. That's a good word. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.